You know what they say. Teamwork makes the dream work. A rising tide floats all boats. Your network is your net worth. These are all cliches because they're true. Successful people get where they want to go because of the people around them. Have you ever wondered why? I'm Lauren Simmons, and welcome back to Mind Body Wealth. Today, we're going to be talking about your team, your squad, your inner circle. Life and work are too challenging to make it to the top alone. Your team is your support. Your significant other is your support. Sometimes the people around you are even your motivation. So how do you choose your people? And how do you open yourself up to letting them help you? I can go back to in my mind when I was coming out of the New York Stock Exchange and looking for my first mentor. And for some reason, I thought that by bottling everything up and not asking for help, that I could do it independently. And I'm a Leo. I love doing everything independently. But one day, organically, the universe pushing me to do this, I was venting to a now very close mentor of mine. And I didn't want a response. I wasn't looking for an answer. But at the end of that discussion, he said, I can help. And I'm telling you, a wave of emotions came across me and I felt relief. I felt like I could trust this new person. And the first step was opening up and asking for help. Speaking of bringing people in, let's bring in one of my favorite people, Mary Elizabeth Taylor, Vice President, Head of External Affairs at Robinhood. Mary is amazing, but let me just share with you how amazing she is by dropping a few key facts from her career. In 2018, Mary Elizabeth was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate to be the 32nd Assistant Secretary of State for Legislative Affairs, becoming the first African-American and youngest person to ever hold that post. Mary Elizabeth is a dynamic leader with experience from the highest level of public service and international relations. Her career spans the whole world of tech, finance, and government. And of course, we talked about all three. From being a first and navigating the pressure to knowing when to walk away despite other people's expectations. So let's dive in. Hello, Mary. I'm so excited for you to be on the show today. Oh my gosh, I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're going to have so much fun. So I'm going to kick this off with an icebreaker question. When you were dating, and I know you're actually engaged, how early on did you talk about finances? I feel like for me, it was pretty quick with my fiance. (laughs) When I think about like dating before, it might have been different, but with Oliver, my fiance, we just connected in all of the ways really quickly. And so it never really felt like something that was out of scope for us to talk about. Like it was just organically kind of there in the beginning with all the other things that we (laughs) were talking about. I love it. So do you have a good relationship with money? I think my relationship with money is in a better place than it's ever been. I've been doing a lot of work to try to be as intentional as possible and always in my life but definitely with money as well. And in that, I've been able to see that 
you know, I've had a complicated relationship with it throughout my life. And I think I am trying to do the work around the areas that are like most kind of challenging for me and make them better and more improved. So I would say it's the best it's ever been because I'm doing the work, but not to say that I don't have work to do around my relationship with it. Of course, because it should be an evolving thing. Everybody should always be doing the work when it comes to personal finances. Do you think that some of the challenges that you've had with money comes from maybe your upbringing, your family? What was their relationship with money? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, my parents grew up without a lot of money and they worked really hard to be able to provide me with an incredible childhood and upbringing. And I will forever be so grateful for for that. I think that my parents, they both had significant time in public service. My mom was the first Black female director of White House media relations. So I have some big shoes to fill. But both of them spent years working in the federal government. And a lot of people go to government to achieve a mission and work for something bigger than them. And like the poll isn't money. And so I think my upbringing, how that affected my relationship with money was I never looked at money as like, this has to be the sole thing that I contribute my life's work to. It's not the North Star. To me, I think my relationship with money really, it does kind of center around what am I doing for it? What's the bigger cause here? What's the bigger mission here? And I think that's because of my background working in public service. So I'm going to imagine, I don't want to assume, so a lot of the work that you do today is very intentional. Money isn't the motivating factor. It is a purpose. And what is that purpose that you're trying to do, which I think is beautiful because I don't think a lot of people look at their jobs and they they look at it from like a holistic standpoint. But being in a public service area, I'm sure, and being a minority, <laughs> Can you speak to some of the challenges that you had with that, but also how you continue to allow your purpose to drive you in those moments when it probably, you're thinking like, what is this? Money isn't a motivating factor. My purpose is my purpose, but all these challenges are coming. So is it even worth it? Can you speak to some of those challenges? I do want to be clear on that. It's not like I'm like, money doesn't matter. I know that it matters and I know that I have a plan with it. And I know that it's a significant factor, but it's not when I think about other things I could have done and they were like great on the money side, but not necessarily great on like what I would actually be doing. It's a factor. So when I think about challenges and trying to like navigate through that and how to balance purpose and mission, for me, I wonder if how much of it is like nurture versus nature. Like I'm born and raised from DC and like it's in my like blood, it's in my family to like be in this world. And I think for me, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about how this past almost 15 years of my life, 15, 16 years of my life since I was 16, was in public service, working for the Senate. And it's public service. I wasn't going there for money. I was going there for something bigger. And then when I shifted my career into the private sector, I knew I wanted to try something new. I knew I wanted to expand. I knew that I had DC in my blood and I always love it and and appreciate what, what happens here. But I also knew that I had more to offer the world and I wanted to expand. And so what was tricky for me was understanding, all right, well, if you're not 
going to be working for the federal government, how are you going to transition that mission-motivated part of yourself into the private sector? Because I knew at the end of the day, I couldn't go work for a company and be like, all right, how am I going to make more money today? That's that's not going to keep me motivated. And so that's how I went through the thinking around it. How do you get the strength to make a career decision, your decision, a definitive decision that may not be popular? I think my advice around career decisions, popular or not, is turning inward and being true to yourself. The strength around it is so deeply challenging. And, you know, when I think about different career decisions that I've made, I've leaned on people that I've trusted the most. And... I've made career decisions that have been not expected and a leap, a leap of faith in in a lot of different ways um, and at different points in my career. And when I think back to that and you pair that with the fact that I am a planner (laughs) and I like a plan, a leap of faith can be debilitating. But I can still hear in the back of my mind my mom saying, you know this is right for you. Like, you know it is. Because <laughs> I I say, I I would tell her that this is, this is what I'm thinking about doing because of who I am. And I mean, my mom knows me better than anyone. And she, I remember like at some points I, I'd be like, do you think, are you sure this is right? Like, do you think this is right? And she, <laughs> she would be like, you need to stop asking me that because like, you know, <laughs> like you've already shared that with me. My mom is really real in that sense. And I think every time I've had to make these, really these gut decisions that, again, on paper didn't make sense. And there were certainly so many people around me discouraging me not to make the decision. But I think above all, it is a leap of faith. It is leaning wholeheartedly on the universe that, okay, I'm about to take this jump and whatever happens, happens. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable is the biggest growth that you can have. But I I do believe that we as individuals have all the answers that we need. And we don't always need those external voices. They can be good for support. But when you're definitively ready to make a decision, you do it, no questions asked. And you just see what the what happens on the journey and what happens next. Yep. It is your decision. It is it is your charge. And whatever happens, whether it works out exactly as you planned or you didn't have a plan and you'll help yourself through it because you know you made that decision for a reason because of who you are. And that's always where you want to start from and end with. So I started this episode talking about the importance of a crew. So what I want to know is what does having a crew and network, a tribe mean to you and who's in it? Mentors, friends, family? Yeah. So I would say one of my first pieces of advice that I give to anyone who's asking about anything with their career, just from my own experience, building my tribe has been the one of the single most important things to me and the single most impactful. <laughs> I mean, Lauren, you know, if you are the first person to do something and you don't have someone who's carved that same path as you and you're going forward, Sometimes it can be challenging to not be able to turn to someone who's done the exact same thing before. You're like looking around. You're like, you can give great advice. You don't look like me. Like, how are we going to establish this rapport? Like, no, it comes with challenges. And it's a very bittersweet 
push-pull moment that is had, but there's so much internal work that has to be done. And I feel like we are swamped with so many questions and it's like, who can we look at to help guide us to the next step, especially if if we're the first within this space. Exactly. And I think what I, in the beginning, I thought there's no one I can turn to. There's no one who's been through this. And then after I did a good amount of work, I, I thought, you know, I can piece this together. I can build my tribe around me and I can find people who have had different bits of experiences. And, you know, what I realized is it's, that's even better, right? Like you are expanding the amount of perspectives and experiences and diversifying the advice that you're getting. And that's the best that you can ask for. So how do you go about building a tribe? Being able to turn inside into yourself and shining a light on the authentic you. I would say that that is absolutely step one because that'll inform who you connect with authentically and deeply and meaningfully. Because if you skip that step, then all of the connections can be transactional. And that's not a good kind of tribe. And you can certainly navigate your career. I mean, I certainly know people that are very transactional, but I think that only gets you so far. And I think when we think about being the first, we think about being leaders in a space, like people want to know you holistically. They want to feel like they know you fully as a human being. And when you're strategically, and everything is strategic, let's not act like that's not the case. But when you're doing things in a very linear transactional path, it comes across that way. And people don't feel that genuineness, that vulnerability, that how do I want to continue to help you at a certain point? Money is a motivating factor up until a certain point. I think your tribe and the people that you build around you, yes, you can be very transactional. I think early in your career, you kind of have to be. But then you have to really start building those real relationships. And that is really what takes you to the next step. Whether you are trying to grow your career or go to the next phase or chapter or completely do something completely different, you have to have that real relationship. I couldn't agree more. When I think about my network, I don't think about it in the way of transactions, like we're saying. Like I think I have always, ever since I was a kid working on the floor at 16, on the Senate floor at 16, for me, I'm the kind of person who's looking for ways to connect with anyone, with everyone. And then that influenced my career and that I could use that to help create a positive, tangible output. Like, where can we find areas of agreement? And then how can we act on that? And I think having relationships built in authenticity and having tr- sometimes transactions come out of those transactions happen. And that's a lot of times that's what makes the world go around. But when you can have transactions come out of deep, meaningful relationships, they're that much more powerful and you can find areas of agreement in some of the most tangled situations. How would 16-year-old Mary go about building a tribe versus Mary today? That's a very good question. (laughs) 16-year-old Mary was out here trying to make friends with everyone. (laughs) I (laughs) I was out here just trying to be friends with any and everyone. And then, you know, we all grow up a little bit. And I think there's still that energy in me. I still want to be that person. I still, I want to find ways to connect with everyone. I think as I got older, I started realizing the amount of energy 
and time it takes to nourish a relationship if you want a strong relationship. And I don't have the energy for every single person anymore. And my circle means a lot to me. So it takes time and it takes awareness of how they show up for me and how I show up for them. And then seeing how that continues over time. And it's also not a a quantity. Like it has nothing to do with the quantity of people, it has to do with the quality of people. Like my tribe is a very strong tribe. It's not the largest because some people tell me about the, the groups and the tribes that they have. And I think that I have definitely come to a point in my life where I realize it's more about the quality than it is the quantity any day of the week. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because giving to all of those people is hard. And I want to be able to show up as a good friend and a good daughter and sister and fiance and all these different things that we get to be and have to be. And they all require so much of yourself. And it's an honor, of course, right? To be there. Like it takes, it takes time and energy. And so I just try to be aware of how I'm spending it. Other than leaning on your tribe, what personality traits or habits are helpful when you're the first? So outside of building your tribe, the other piece of advice that I always need to give myself, frankly, is taking care of myself. Wow, Mary, that's it. That's it. Oh my goodness. It is about adding the mind body all up in this because it's so important. It's so important. It's not just about money. It's not just about purpose. It's about the self-care and the mental. What people don't understand is that your inner wealth becomes your bottom line. When you're connected mind-body wealth, it leads to better money moves. It leads to fewer bad decisions and learning from those bad decisions as opposed to just repeating them over and over again. It's all connected. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go on. Go on. Yes. Yes. It is though. So I I went to a really challenging high school in a lot of different ways here in DC. It was really hard. And I can remember being in high school and feeling like there's work, there's school, and then there's me and having to like separate that and prioritize work and put all of my value into work, my self-value and who I was and who I like saw myself as. And what I think back to high school and like my early years in my career, I did see myself as that. And I would always put work as not even just first, but as like everything, as my identity. I was forced to do the work in in 2020 and do the work around how do I identify outside of work? What's my value? Who am I? And digging in deeper into that so I can expand my identity. And I think taking care of yourself, for me, it's less about prioritizing work or prioritizing certain things in my personal life. It's about finding the right balance because there's so many priorities in everybody's life. It's not that work isn't important, but taking care of yourself is the only way you can give to work. If you're not taking care of yourself, then it's hard to give anything to work. And then I think when you become a leader, the leaders who prioritize taking care of themselves and prioritize for their team, for them to take care of themselves. Those are the people that I look up to. And that's the kind of leader that I've always strived to be, to make sure that everybody feels that they have space to take care of themselves. I think it's the engine that keeps us going. Yeah. And burnout is real. Do you have a self-care routine, a favorite practice? 
I do. I would say I have a self-care routine that I absolutely love. I am not nailing it right now. I gotta be honest. (laughs) We're human. We go through phases. It happens. Yeah. I would say at its peak, my routine in the morning, I used to not look at my phone for maybe 45 minutes or so, which I get when I say it, it's not that long, but it felt really long. (laughs) I used to wake up and I would set my speaker to have a 10 minute guided meditation ready to go. So that way I wouldn't, (laughs) I wouldn't have to open my phone, but I would just have to press the button and then I would sit and I would meditate. Yeah, it was, it was nice when I figured that out. We got to get back to that, Mary. We have to get back to that. (laughs) Someday soon. I will get back to that. (laughs) Your job does seem stressful though. Your previous job and even your current job, how do you de-stress? I de-stress, number one, by like turning to my tribe, being able to take off my work hat and just hang out with my girls and be me and be myself and connect with people who don't know me from work, frankly. And I think going to like that group chat in my phone, that's like my five best girlfriends and texting about a favorite episode of a TV that we watched together or something like that. I think removing myself from work in a couple of different ways, like not just like not being there because it's hard working from home. I put my computer away in a cabinet when I'm done with work these days. That's something actually my fiance helps me with. He suggested it. And, you know, I think trying to find ways to unplug from it on a multifaceted level, that's certainly something that mindfulness around taking care of myself I saw start to help me so much in a lot of different ways. Thank you so much, Mary. I love talking to you. And thank you for being open about your finances and your fiance and your relationship and everything that we talked about today. I'm truly grateful for this conversation. (laughs) Thank you so, so much, Lauren. You are creating such an important space of conversation in this podcast and in everything that you do. And so I am just honored to be here and keep crushing it. My talk with Mary Elizabeth has me wanting to check in with my crew and make plans for world domination. You know what they say, who runs the world? Girls. (laughs) But really and truly, I hope you're inspired to make a change in your life or your career. Let's talk about making big decisions. How do you know when it's time for a change? How do you choose what's next from a world of options? You check with your crew, of course, but there's a key tip I want to share about that. I always like to bring decisions to my crew after I have an idea of where I'm going. They are there to confirm decisions I'm feeling good about, but haven't completely decided on. There's still time for them to give me feedback and insight that might change my mind, but I'm not coming to them totally undecided. I like this because one, I trust myself and my ability to make good decisions if I approach the process correctly. And two, I wanna walk through my thinking with my crew. That's where they shine. I believe you already know what's next. The answer is already inside of you. You just need to turn down the noise outside and look inside. Here's some tips on how I do that. Schedule empty time. I put time on my schedule to think. Gratitude. We talked a little bit about this on our last episode, 
But when I'm grateful for the things around me, that's when I'm in my best headspace. That's when I feel like I make the best decisions. So whether you have a gratitude journal or a gratitude meditation, put it into practice to find the answers that are already inside of you. Lastly, setting a power of intention. This is a simple statement that you say out loud every day or many times a day about where you want to go. So to recap, we're all in this together. Remember, teamwork makes the dream work. But no, in all seriousness, surround yourself with people you trust and let them lift you up. And when the time comes to make those big decisions, look inside because girl, you already know. Join me, Lauren Simmons, on our next episode of Mind Body Wealth dropping next week. Be sure to follow Mind Body Wealth only on Spotify. Until next time. Mind Body Wealth with Lauren Simmons is a Spotify original production from Best Case Studios. It's executive produced by Lauren Simmons and produced by Ayana Angel. From Spotify, executive producers are Gina Delvac and Jifa Yador. Producer is Tierra Darnell. Executive producer for Best Case is Adam Pincus. Our associate producers, Ali Gallo, Aaron Allen, and Stephanie Geary are the editorial directors. Our editor is Galen Mullins. Thanks to Marmoset and Five Alarm for this music. And special thanks to Kevin Pham, Lauren Chin, Colin Frederick, Hannah Lebowitz Lockhart at Best Case, Evan Tarantino, Free Bird, Amanda Long, Jordan Tochinski at Spotify for production support, and Ashley Acevedo and Arabella Roberts at Artist First.